Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, tonight we're going to go back a decade. We're taking a look at the High Hopes Tour, which was pretty damn wild. Well, first off, it's wild that it's been 10 years, but uh, that's a whole different kind of story. And yeah, we're going to do this in two parts. Tonight, we're going to do the first part. We're going to do South Africa and Australia. And since neither one of us were there, we're bringing in our friends Jason Batista and Ted Britch to provide us with some uh, with some good color and what it was like uh, on the ground there. That's right. And the second part will run in about 10, maybe 12 days our buddy Kirk Minahan from Barstool is actually the one who suggested we do the 10th anniversary of the High Hopes Tour. I don't know how we didn't think of that one ourselves, so we thank him for that. And if Kirk's schedule allows, we're hoping he'll be able to join us. Oh, absolutely. Now, talking about the High Hopes Tour, it obviously it kind of goes back to to March of 2013 when Morella joined the, the Wrecking Ball Tour down in Australia and uh, kind of inspired Bruce to do some recording and kind of started off they did what uh high hopes and firewood on 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 the tour as well as in the studio and then they added american skin and ghost of tom joad and a couple of others and then they kind of patched it in with uh odds and sods from the last 20 years or so and and then they released the album and and hit the road in support of it yeah this was still at the time when bruce i think considered that he wanted to have new material when he toured now of course he could have just continued the Wrecking Ball tour, but they did have the songs that you mentioned that were recorded in Australia, and he threw on the other stuff. It's an interesting package of material, a little rough around <laughs> the edges, but it served its purpose for the tour. And as I said in the intro, the, the set lists were really crazy. To me, what's interesting is that, as you said, he wanted a reason to keep touring, uh, and we had seen that a couple years before, going from Magic to working on a dream, and when that tour started, when they were working on a dream tour started, they didn't hit the ground full at full throttle at full speed. And but the opposite was true for the High Hopes tour. They they were still at the top of their game and down when the tour started in South Africa and and even better when when they got to Australia, which we'll talk about in a, in a little while. So uh, it was a it was a little bit different in in a good way than it was in two thousand nine. Right. And of course, another significant thing about 2014 was the start of the official bootleg series. Now, it didn't go off without a hitch. I don't (laughs) think we should talk about wristbands or anything right now. Oh, why not? Oh, because why even bring that up? The important (laughs) thing was that they were actually going to release the shows and the 2014 edition of the official bootleg series certainly was not as good as it would develop into later. But it did serve its purpose, and for the first time, we were able to hear every show within a few days of it taking place through official channels. Well, the first few took more than a, a few days, but but yeah, I remember getting that first one uh, from South Africa and being less being less than enthused. I wanted to love it. I tried to make myself love it, but it just didn't have any pop. But things did improve. Uh, that was the first one, and as the tour progressed, the sound got a lot better. And I know it doesn't sound like the, the 2016, 17, or or 23 recordings in terms of clarity and overall sound quality, but there was a crunchiness to it that that I really liked, uh, especially when they got to got to May, April, and May in the U.S. I really liked some of that, some of those songs, some of those shows. Yeah, got off to a rough start, but 
as the as it progressed, things got things improve in a lot of ways. Well, it's our old adage: something is better than nothing, and clearly they don't compare to the Altschiller releases that would come in 2016. Of course, that also started with problems, which is how Altschiller came into the picture to begin with. But it was great to have, and I still listen to some of these. Uh, One could make the argument, perhaps, that they should go back and take one or two of the best ones and remix them. Disagree. Okay. Well, it's not going to happen whether we agree or disagree on that. So I, I think we know that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I'd rather just focus on something new than than improve the sound quality of, of some of these. If, if they want to improve the sound quality on something, I'll let's go with Rome 2013. Fair enough on that one. And as usual, I'll give you the courtesy of introducing our first guest tonight. So let's get right to it. Let's uh, bring in our friend Jason. He's a He's a lawyer out of Brooklyn. He's seen Bruce on six different continents, which is just amazing to me. So Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks for being here. This is really a remarkable stand, and uh, we're, we're both jealous, I think, that you were there. Oh, absolutely. Good. Well, first off, I just want to ask, what uh, what inspired you to go? Because I, you told me earlier you didn't go to Australia, so you just went for these four shows. Yeah, well, good question. The the, the First of all, it was great revisiting these shows. Um you know, I hadn't listened to them in, in a little bit. Obviously, it's been a while. It's been a lot of shows for all of us in between then and now. So it was great to go back and listen to these shows uh, and have some great memories from it. But I mean, I think for me, honestly, the way that the way that the the whole High Hopes experience started was really it started in Brisbane in 2013, right? Because I went down to Australia for the 2013 shows. Uh, I had been to see Bruce two other times in Australia in the past, but uh, went down there for the first time in many years since the Rising Tour uh, to Brisbane uh, for Wrecking Ball. So here we are, the first night in Brisbane. Um, I'm exhausted <laughs> Get from that from that long flight. I know you, I know you guys know about that. And uh, so the second song out, he plays just like Firewood. And before it, he goes. This is a this is from the Saints, and he starts playing just like Firewood, and I didn't know what song what it was. I'd never heard of this song before, but it was great, right? So, start thinking already what's going on here. There's there's something happening uh, in terms of his thought process, and then the next night uh, on the 16th in Brisbane, he starts off with High Hopes. Uh, wow, right? First <laughs> time, never heard that one live before, and uh, no one had. You know, it. <laughs> no, and then and no, and then there's a lot of you guys know there's a, there's some talk of recording that's been going on in Australia at that time. So there's some sort of uh, things going on with respect to uh, potential new and or different material. So that's really where it started for me. We go through 2013. We have a lot of shows. Some it was an up and down year, I thought, for the shows. Some some great, some okay, some not so good, in my opinion. But then um, you get to October, I think it was, and they announced South Africa. And I said, wow, this is an opportunity for me personally to see Bruce Springsteen perform on the sixth continent. <laughs> and unless, wow, he plays, unless he plays Antarctica, I'm not going to see a seventh. So, yeah. So I said, I can't pass this up. It's going to be the sixth continent I get to see Bruce on. So I quickly prepare a trip. Uh, to go to South Africa, Cape Town, and Johannesburg, and, and, and loop in a, a safari, which all of us, you know, 
it's a it's it's a trip that a lot of people want to do and i've always wanted to do it so make a plan uh you know we get the new album announced in november i think it was right and um Mm -hmm. here and here we go so i'm very excited to, to to be heading down that's really where it all started for me so take us into the experience in the sense that it's it's a much different place to see a show at least it seems from afar than most of the places we have seen shows so we have generally seen shows in the states i've seen shows in europe flynn has seen a couple of shows in europe i've also been to australia but those all have a very similar feel at least for me when i'm at the shows yep one of the interesting things is as we know bruce's audience is overwhelmingly 98 percent white in the United States and in Europe. Uh, yeah. Was there a difference at those shows and in terms of both the audience and the feel? I will say for Cape Town, I'm going to say not as much as Johannesburg. Uh, Cape Town, there was a lot of U.S. fans uh, and European fans, uh, that many, that many of which you all know uh, personally, uh, that were there uh, for the Cape Town shows. Uh, and... The thing about the Cape Town shows was uh, they were obviously it's kind of a smaller city, uh, beautiful city with 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 unbelievable geography. And the band was staying at, at a hotel, you know, the main large hotel there in Cape Town. And many other people <laughs> were staying at that same hotel. Uh, so it was sort of like you were seeing a lot of the same people as you were seeing when you're going to the shows uh, in the States and in Europe, um, the, the venue itself was an interesting venue. Uh, it was a velodrome, an indoor bicycling uh, arena. And Bruce, I believe, I, when I was listening to the shows, I had forgotten he said this, but he, he looked up and said, oh, this looks a lot like Convention Hall in Hasbury Park. Because <laughs> it was, I think he said that because it was just kind of a big uh, it, it, uh, hall Gymnasium? with nothing. Yeah, exactly. Gymnasium with nothing, not a lot of accoutrements to it. And I thought to myself that night, I said, I don't know that I've ever seen Bruce in a velodrome before. Very unusual venue. I think I did, actually. And, and I thought about it more in the, maybe the second or third show in Europe on the Rising Tour, maybe in like Frankfurt, Germany or something, was it? Berlin was a velodrome. But in any case, um, the feel of the show, Hal, was uh, very much a... <laughs> Of I, I know a lot of people here. Uh, I wasn't seeing a lot of I wasn't seeing a lot of um, different uh, sort of looks of people. Um, it was a lot of the same that I saw there for those for those three shows. It was again though. Remember, I was I had a pit ticket, and so it was mostly all the, all the Americans and Europeans that 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 I knew that had traveled to the show had a pit ticket as well. So there may have been more of a diversity of, of the crowd, um, just not not within my sight lines. Um, yeah. All right. I was going to ask about the reception uh, of, of the audience, of the crowd there in, in South Africa when Bruce came out and, and he played a lot of different stuff. Yep. Uh, he Obviously, he was debuting well, mo- most of the uh, new material, High Hopes, Heaven's yep. Wall, obviously the band version of Ghost of Tom Joad. Yep. Uh, but he was also doing, I guess, the Open All Night and Lonesome Days. And so I guess the yep. crowd had pretty much the same reaction as you would expect, say, in in Detroit or Chicago or Boston. <laughs> yeah. I The first night I thought was uh, of the of the three uh, was kind of 
more along the lines of a wrecking ball show, uh, except that it didn't open with We Take Care of Our Own. Besides that, uh, it had definitely the feel of a wrecking ball show, I'd say. We still had the uh, the shackled and drawn sunny day part. Uh, the, the, the encore looked pretty similar, especially because we had We Are Alive opening the encore, I believe, of the first show. And that was a special moment because... He made some comments there regarding Mandela. Obviously, they opened the show with that song, Free Nelson Mandela. I'd never heard it until that night, I don't think. But um, And it's, you know, it's a catchy little tune. But uh, I was really moved by the by the We Are Alive comments about, about Mandela the first night. I think the crowd really appreciated that. Um, but it was, I would say, you know, played it pretty safe the first night. Uh, it was really not until the second night where he really started opening up because that's when we that's when we got a lot of the songs, uh, the debuts that we had not heard uh, from the High High Hopes album uh, in at least on this tour. We had heard Firewood in Australia in 2013, but this was the first time we heard it on this tour, along with a number of other ones. Uh, so that that was. A very good show, I thought. The second show really stood out. I thought that was actually the best of the three shows in Cape Town. The second show also was notable because he seemed to tap into the locale a little bit more. The encores included both We Shall Overcome and This Little Light of Mine, which is clearly thematic. And it ended after This Little Light of Mine with This Hard Land. So while he may have played it safe in the first show, the second night he definitely embraced the surroundings that he was in. And uh, it, that definitely seemed to factor in, into the set. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. The we shall overcome uh, was a, was a nice surprise that night. I personally, I don't know about you all, but I was a big, big fan of the 2006 tour, uh, you know, with that song every night as a staple. And I was very happy to hear that one. Um, I can't remember if I, if I knew at the time that Pete Seeger had just died, um, and that's why he, he did it. But uh, it it was it worked extremely well for the setting, obviously, um, as you say, Hal, very thematic. And uh, the second show there was, you know, I want to say, you know, he, he 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 probably played 14, 15 new songs uh, that night. So that or different songs. So that. Yeah. According was, to Bruce Bass, 14 changes the second night. And okay. 16 more the third night for 57 yep. songs in three nights. We won't editorialize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, a, it, I'll tell you on, I would have to say, you know, on paper, that just sounds astounding. Doesn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, it really does. So uh, my, my recollection of it all was, I think I must've been just expecting all these songs to come. So I don't think I was standing there so astounded by it all because I thought it was just, Oh, he's playing three shows in his, in the same city in a row. He's going to do that. Uh, but I guess looking back, right, uh, it is pretty astounding. And, and I'm sure the crowd there in South Africa, people who lots of people there who had never seen Bruce before, uh, must have heard a lot of songs they had never heard before, but must have been pretty impressed uh, by the fact that he, he had such a variety of a set list instead of seeing, seeing this, the same three shows in a row like most artists would give him down there, I'm sure. Now, I want to talk about the third night uh, a little bit. Now, it hadn't occurred to me until someone else mentioned it that he could possibly pull out Sun City uh, on on this South African run. And it wasn't until that third night that he did. Um, How was that for you being in the venue? 
I thought it was a little rough that one, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, you know, <laughs> there was some Bruce rapping going on. Uh, there was, I know he had most depth there. I think that's a Bruce trivia question. When has any rappers performed with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band? Not, I'm not sure if any others have, but that uh, if they. I think the 2004 <laughs> Vote for Change show in DC. I think there were some rap artists on stage for the okay. for the for the encore there. But yeah, you're a point well taken. <laughs> doesn't happen. Doesn't happen a lot, right? Uh, no. But uh, yeah, the, the the third show was one of those one of those freewheeling uh, Bruce shows that that I personally love because I'm 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 in the I'm in the corner. I know you guys talk about this a lot of of uh, in the corner of people who really need that thematic Bruce show with the, with the set list that, that, that sort of flows together thematically, or there's people that there's people like me who just love hearing random songs for two hours and not knowing what's coming. That was more like what, what night three in, in South Africa was, uh, uh, you know, you had Rosie in the third spot, I believe, which was very weird. Uh, don't not necessarily work working the best in that spot, of course, but, it was cool to not really know it was coming for a while. And, and, and my recollection, my other couple main recollections from that show were loved the Adam something in the night, uh, early set, uh, darkness, double shot there. Those are two of my favorite songs live. And, um, I, uh, sun city into Rocky ground was actually a nice way, uh, to start the encore. Uh, it was definitely some rap, another bruce trivia question two songs in a row with rap in it i don't think that's ever happened before so <laughs> probably not i love listening to that sequence i thought yep. now sun city was a little rough and i don't know how much yep. they sound checked it but yep. that's a magnificent pairing and again in the setting i can only imagine that it really hit even more yep. than it obviously would listening on a tape yeah, I don't think that can possibly, and even for me, having been there and listening to it now, you know, 10 some odd years later, uh, didn't resonate with me as much as it certainly did that night. But when I thought back more about it, um, it was a pretty powerful uh, moment there. Obviously, I, I love, you know what, I love, even if I thought Sun City was a little rough, which I did, I love, I love seeing him take chances up there. You know, I love him up there pushing the envelope as opposed to, you know, playing a bunch of born in the USA songs in a row. Uh, I, I give me, give me something like, give me a sequence like sun city, Rocky ground into born to run sandwiched with badlands. Like to me that, that, that's the good stuff right there. Uh, whether you love it or not, I, I love that. I love taking chance. I love him taking chances up there like that. It's great. Oh, I agree with you hundred percent. I would much rather ha- have him do a sloppy version of say TV movie Yep. Uh, that then a note perfect out in the street. I've, we've seen out in the street how many times TV movies been done once. You know, yep. let's let's try something different. Try something new. Yep, absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more, Flynn. So, you know, th- those three shows, uh, you know, combined with the setting. Uh, you know, I'm sure you all have seen just just seeing pictures of South Africa. Uh, it's you go there and you the, the city is it's built on a mountain. Uh, it's at the bottom. It's sort of built on the on the way up a mountain. Then you have this table mountain. It's this flat mountain at the top of it, looking down on it. And you go down, you know, you're taking little little drives around the Cape of Good Hope. You got this beach. I know there's pictures, I think, of Bruce and Stephen at this orchard beach, I want to say it was. Everybody mm-hmm. goes there when you go to uh, Cape Town. It's a beach with little penguins running around. And yep. you just see, yeah, you just see a lot of, a, a lot of things that, 
you never see you never seen in your life and um the only thing I missed out doing was going. Uh, I know Tom Morello did it. He went uh, going in the uh, out on a boat and uh, checking out the great white sharks inside the. Actually, going down in a cage and watching them. I didn't get to do that, but I would have liked to. Have. But Morello did. Yeah, he did. He did. And I understood Morello. Um, I didn't. This. I didn't personally experience this, but I know some people did. That it, as I was saying before, everyone was that the band was staying at the one and only hotel there and. Uh, Cape Town, and I know a lot of fans were staying there as well, and I know a number of fans had some very positive experiences with Tom Morello personally, uh, just hanging at the hotel bar, a friend of mine and someone I know you all know is drinking some Johnny Walker Blue with uh, Tom Morello at the hotel bar in Cape Town, just good stuff like that, that, you know, everybody's way far, way far away, all the way across the world. you know, and and having some some interesting experiences. I'll share a little anecdote with you about it before we move on. Is um, we were having dinner at uh, the, the the Nobu Hotel there, uh, the Nobu at the one and only hotel, and we looked. There's several of us at the table, and we looked over about five feet away, and who was sitting there? But Gary Talent sitting by himself eating dinner. This was the night before the first show. So uh, one of our party who who knew him personally walked over to him and had a couple comments and. Before you knew it, Gary sat down with us and uh, had dinner with us at the one and only uh, hotel. Very cool. Yep. Very uh, cool. So we talked for a good hour uh, as we had dinner, and uh, it was very funny. He, he was sharing with us that uh, he the the song. One of the things that sticks out to me about the conversation was how he the songs he loves are all the songs that 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 all the big fans like us don't really want to hear. He loves playing Waiting on a Sunny Day and Hungry Heart and all those songs. And uh, we're trying to ask him about Restless Nights and this and that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good time. It was, it was really, it was, it was a special experience. Now, now you talked about Tom Morello offstage. Now, this yep. was the first time he had joined the tour on or joined the band, basically, on a regular basis. And yep. he, the point, of course, was to have him fill in for Steve when the when the tour hit the states when yep. when Steve was off filming. I guess it was Lilyhammer. Yep. So, what was it? What did his addition add to the on to the on stage ensemble, especially when you had everybody there? I thought it was fantastic because I got to tell you guys, I had grown a little tired of seeing Tom Morello perform with the Street Band uh, starting in 2008 and 2012. It seemed like he was showing up every other day to play the Ghost of Tom Joad. And I thought he was kind of kind of not not fitting in with the band as much as kind of taking the trying to take the spotlight. But I thought really when he started playing with them, especially in Australia 2013 and then continuing in 2014, I really, really thought he started becoming an, a member of the East Street Band instead of a guest. And I thought it was a huge distinction uh, on stage. I thought he really uh, was was fitting in, uh, playing his fills, and not sort of trying to be the center of attention at every uh, opportunity. So I really enjoyed seeing Tom Morello on stage during 2014 with Bruce. And I'll tell you what, I don't think there's any question whatsoever that he inspired Bruce that that for sure to be a better guitar player. Or you know, Bruce is a great guitar player no matter what, but. You know, he, Bruce started dressing like him. Bruce wanted Bruce was Bruce was playing up there. He had Nils Lofgren. He had Tom Morello, and you know, he's. I, I really thought his his level of playing was it was sort of like a competition up there in a good way. Uh, I was very impressed with that. I thought it was great that Tom was with them. 
So I just wanted to clarify what Flynn was saying. So 2013, yeah, I forgot about Morello that. had joined in Australia because Steve was yep. not there, but Steve was present in 2014 for these shows. Right. right. Yeah. That that's what was cool about it. I thought I thought in 20 in 2013, you know, Morello was sort of there subbing uh, for Steve, but wasn't really. I didn't expect him to be there anymore after that tour. Uh, and then suddenly he was there again, and I thought he really fit in a lot better uh, in 2014 than he ever did before. Um, I thought that, uh, obviously, the Ghost of Tom Joad is a, is a sublime moment with the two of them, and it's, you know, it's one of the, you know, could be one of the best guest, I guess, I don't know if you call it a guest appearance or a duet or whatever, but he did it many times, you guys know, and it's great. But I really thought he did great work uh, otherwise uh, on in 2013 and in 2014, but I really just enjoyed him fitting in more on stage. I really thought he, it was, he seemed like more, like I said, more a member of the band than a guest of Bruce on stage. And uh, I thought that really made the shows uh, shine even more. And also what I really loved about it was I thought that the, the influence on some of the set list choices that Bruce made, uh, were directly influenced by Tom, not just in South Africa, but throughout the rest of 2014 in that in those spring shows. He made some very good calls uh, in terms of set list choices. So I was very, very, very excited to see him on stage. I thought he got better and better. Yeah, it's well known. I mean, Tom was the impetus behind Highway to Hell. He was yep. certainly the reason why High Hopes was played. So yep. he, he was no question... A positive on stage, especially for what was a brief period of time. I don't think I'd want to see Tom join the band permanently, and I no. don't think he would join the band permanently. But for what he brought for that special period of time, was was really good. Now let's get to the yep. last show in Johannesburg, and then we're going to bring Ted on to discuss Australia. Okay. What were your thoughts about the stadium show in Johannesburg? Well, the Johannesburg show. Obviously, um, my first thought about it was this was uh, FNB Stadium in Johannesburg. It was, I, th I think it was, you know, the first place that Nelson Mandela made a speech after he was released from prison in 1990. So as we were getting into that stadium, uh, it's a huge soccer stadium in, in, in the European style. Uh, very, very big, uh, bigger than is good for a show. But it was a giant pit. And, uh, you know, so he opens up the show with, Free Nelson Mandela again, which was not surprising. Uh, but then I think I was, I, I, I thought, I, I remember calling it in my own mind, and I'm glad I was right into Land of Hope and Dreams. And, you know, that was a moment right there. I was thinking right during that moment of, of, of Mandela and the speech that he made there and looking around. And at that show, unlike Cape Town, that's where I looked around and I saw a big diversity in the crowd. I saw blacks, I saw whites, I saw people from other countries, uh, and that sort of sequence for, uh, with Free Nelson Mandela and Talanda Hope and Dreams, that was that was some powerful stuff there. Uh, I can't think of many moments in Bruce's career, at least that I've seen, that, that I, I felt were as powerful as that one. Uh, it was pretty special. Unfortunately, I missed the pre-show. He did one of those acoustic pre-shows, and uh, I did not uh, get there in time for that. But um, it was uh, ju just the ride onto... Uh, out from the center of Johannesburg into where the stadium was, was 
for a for a guy from Brooklyn like myself, uh, it was a pretty sobering uh, to look on the side of the road there as you're driving up to the stadium, and it was just like you saw in the Sun City videos and uh, a lot of shanty towns, and uh, it was it was sad uh, to see some of that, but at the same time, I felt extremely lucky to be there and to have Bruce embrace that moment was uh, was very powerful. Now, with that one being in a stadium. Without, yep. You said you said it was uh, it was huge in the European soccer stadium style. Yep. It looks like he went a little bit safer with the set list, pull, pulling a lot more stuff from Born in the USA and and Hungry Heart. What did the did you have that kind of reaction at the time, especially after seeing fifty seven different songs in the previous three shows? Yeah, I think it was uh, very uh, typical of uh, a Bruce Stadium show as opposed to a Bruce Arena show. I think we all know here, and I think we'd all agree that that Bruce and the E Street Band, generally speaking, do their best work in an arena setting uh, as opposed to a stadium setting. Not That's not to say we haven't seen some incredible stadium shows because we certainly have. Uh, but I would say that the, the, the Johannesburg show is more geared towards uh, a stadium setting and a stadium crowd. Um, one thing, a couple things that stuck out to me about the set um, was I think this was the first time of the four shows that we saw uh, Murder Incorporated, one of the one of, a favorite song of mine, and you got to see Tom Morello do his little. Uh, I don't know, Flynn. You probably can describe it better than me. The, the guitar histrionics that he does there uh, I th- in I th- that song, laser, late like a laser yeah. gun. Was is it? Wasn't that what somebody called it back in? Because I remember Bruce yeah. in the band being in awe of him when he did it at one of the thirteen shows. Like yeah. they just kind of stood back, and it just sounded like a something out of Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That, that I, I'm not going to try to imitate the sound on, on your <laughs> podcast because it won't cute, sound cute. very good. Exactly. Yeah, sort of like that. So that was cool to see. Um, you, you had the 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 expected. Uh, it's raining in the encore, so he starts it with "Who'll we'll start the rain? Who'll we'll stop the rain?" Sorry. Uh, so that was you know cool to see. Uh, did that to start the encore at Fenway Two, 2012. So I'll never complain about that one starting any encore after that show. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of uh, you know, a lot of Born in the USA songs that night. Plus, you had you know, Hungry Heart, uh, The River, another big stadium crowd show, uh, stadium stadium song, The River. I would say. Uh, so yeah, it was it it was really a pleasure just to be there. I wasn't expecting you know to be blown away by the set list at that show, and I wasn't. But it didn't matter because I was in Johannesburg seeing Bruce and the E Street Band and. Uh, on my way to a safari. Um, my only, re- my only regret is that I wasn't able to fly from, uh, <laughs> Johannesburg to Perth, uh, next to, to go to the Australia shows. Cause I know I, Ted will tell you, uh, you know, those were some special shows over there for sure. And I wish I'd been able to make it, but, um, just couldn't do it, uh, two years in a row. Well, you provided us with the perfect segue there. So we appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a great experience uh, in South Africa and uh, something I'll never forget. And um, yeah, it was, I, I, I don't think ever again in my, in, in, in seeing any concerts, the last, the before South Africa, the last shows I saw for, with Bruce were in South America. So I went from South America to South Africa. That's, that's pretty cool uh, transition right there. So it was a special time. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, I had no idea what those shows were really like outside of the recording. So we really, really appreciate the, the color, the color commentary. 
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to talk about this stuff, really. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz from None But The Brave, and I want to tell you about our exciting new sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that puts your music into online stores and streaming services like Spotify. You keep 100% of your royalties. The DistroKid app is packed with features. You can check your streaming stats from Apple and Spotify, upload lyrics and song credits. You can also get notified via push notifications when you've earned royalties. With Mixia, a powerful tool for those without access to professional mastering engineers, users can put the finishing touches on their track in minutes. There's a simple interface that is easy to use even if you're a novice creator. It's only $99 for a year with unlimited mastered tracks. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely. Send tracks to collaborators, booking agents, and anyone else you want to hear your work. Your music will stream at the highest quality so you can make a great impression. And the artwork files look great too. So check out DistroKid through None But The Brave special link and receive 30% off your first year. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Once again, DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Thank you. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. And then the tour left Johannesburg, South Africa, and they made a short jump over to Australia starting off the leg in Perth on uh, on February 5th. And to help us talk about that leg is is our friend Ted Britch. He is a well-known fan to, to many people who have been, ever been in the pit. So, Ted, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on. Oh, we've been waiting for this, so we're happy <laughs> to have you. That is true. So you went to every show in uh, Australia and New Zealand yes. in uh, 2014. That is uh, kicked kicked off in Perth. What are your like your recollections of those first three shows? I've never seen Bruce on his game like he was in Australia the entire run. Um, you know, he understood where he was. The man was in incredible shape. He was a freak of nature, as one of my friends pointed out. Sixty four years old, and what he was doing, what he looked like, it, it was amazing. Uh, Perth, I mean, right off the bat, you know, that first show, he just grabbed. He, you know, he just grabbed the fans' attention, you know, opened up with Frankie, uh, fell in love. And uh, and that goes back to the previous year when he stopped there in 13. I mean, it was, I mean, it was such a hit that the fans were just going crazy after 13 and they wanted more. And obviously, Bruce and his management and the uh, Australian promoters, you know, knew they had to get him back. And uh, there was talk about Perth when we were there in 13, you know, people saying, ah, oh, he, he should hit the West Coast, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, they did their homework. It's but, uh, interesting because that 2013 run, as you're saying, and you were there as well in 2013, right? Yeah, the, uh, I did the last eight of the 10 shows. Correct. Everyone that I spoke to had such great things to say about that leg. And it did seem that he fired the Australian audience up, as you're saying. Of course, in 2003, they had gone down to Australia. That tour did not go well to the point that it almost <laughs> bankrupted the promoter. And that's one of the reasons why it took so long for him to get back. So now he sort of, I think, was viewing this as 
a bonus to go back down there and give the fans something that they didn't see the year before. And he really delivered on that in terms of the diversity of the material and the quality of the shows, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. What we saw in 13 and then as soon as we got there in 14 in Perth, it, you know, it just was, it was incredible. The, you know, the, it was more the energy of the fans than it was Bruce. I think the energy of the fans is what made Bruce come out and be what he was at those shows. Now, we had just talked about the South African shows and, and he had done a, a, a quite a diverse, uh, he did a lot of songs. Um, oh, yeah. But at the same time, if you look at them, they all seem to be from the classic era, uh, kind of sticking to 75 to, to 84. And then but looking at the Australia set list, especially starting in Perth, when he and the second show where he had Girls in Her Summer Clothes and I Work for Your Love Acoustic mm-hmm. and Save My Love. And and then he started lots of lots of new stuff, uh, opening the first show with Frankie Fell in Love, High Hopes, Just Like Firewood. How did the fans respond to to hearing something basically out of what would be the normal comfort zone? Oh, no, they loved it. I mean, a lot of them were, you know, sign requests as well. Uh, you know, the other thing, like, you know, you said some of the new songs he uh, did, uh, Heaven's Wall, you know, that was being played every night. Uh, so, um, but yeah, they, you know, them coming in with their signs and requests, and uh, they definitely have a knowledge down there of, you know, his, um, his back catalog. It was like, I talked to, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of younger fans, I can also, you know, in, you know, Europe, but a lot of like fans in our age who, you know, when you talk to them, you forget, it's like, you kind of forget Australia was there and all these (laughs) fans were down there and you talk to them and they were totally all, and you know, they all knew greetings. They knew shuffle. They knew born to run. They knew the first three, four albums, no problem. They, they knew the stuff and, uh, you know, they shouted it out. They had their, you know, sign requests, so forth and so on. And, uh, like you said, some of those oddities, uh, you know, night one in Perth, he did a for you, you know, on the piano solo. I mean, it was fantastic. The crowd loved it. The girls in the summer clothes you brought up. Uh, night three, I believe he did the promise uh, on the you know piano as well. I mean, you know, and they ate it up. They totally, they they knew their stuff. Yeah, that third night, he also did Ter- Terry's song. What provoked that? There was a, there was a um, sign request for it. I mean, I can't totally recall. I, you know, didn't go through my note, things like that. But there was a sign request for it. And, uh, you know. Again, Bruce was on his game. It's like he was really trying to mix it up. Uh, you know, going through, you know, my, you know, memory banks, he was averaging like at least 15 different songs per night from the night before, which yeah. is like, you know, I mean, we know he does it, but it was constant through Australia. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is he has done that in longer stands, as we know, especially in the States. There's yes. been very brief periods. 2008, we did have that run at the end, especially that final weekend where he was doing 15, 16 different songs a night. But rarely has it lasted for an entire leg like this. And he really, uh, from Perth, he went to Adelaide. And th- we've talked about these shows before because they're actually two of my favorite shows to listen to because he just cracks me up so much. The second night when he walks out on stage, I guess it was blazing hot there, huh? Oh, oh, it was, uh, I honestly thought it was hotter night one than night two, but you know, yeah, I was out there in the GA line. So I think I have a little bit more, um, you know, say on how hot it was, but you know, 
But it's funny you say that because Adelaide Night One was my favorite show of that run. So it's kind of fun, you know, so that you say that that's you really enjoy those recordings. Well, what made it your your favorite? Um, you know, I'm hardcore on the. I'm always been heavy on the uh, guitar songs. You know, he did a you know a great uh, Human Touch that night. You know, guitar solo was off the hook. Uh, he did Prove It with the '78 intro. Uh, Back in Your Arms, he played, and then the One Two Punch to open up with. Uh, summertime blues, you know, and when he said prior to that, you know, part of my language, you know, <laughs> how fucking hot, how fucking hot it is here, you know, and then to go into the Detroit medley as your second song per a sign request behind the stage. I mean, that's wild. Um, if you look at the video and if I recall, Steve looks at Bruce when Bruce says we're going to do that. And Steve's like, we're going to do that now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you know, and they do the Detroit medley. So to get summertime blues into the Detroit medley back to back to start a show. And then those other songs, I believe we got This Is Your Sword that night, which, you know, is so-so, but the rarity of it. (laughs) But it's new. It was a new song at the time. Exactly. You know, new and rare, you know. Uh, And then Highway to Hell opened up the encore, I believe, and uh, another Ramrod. And uh, it was just, you know, on. Hal said, you know, it's one of his favorite recordings. And uh, it was my favorite show of those 13 I saw in Australia and New Zealand. It was just, you know. And night two wasn't bad either. I mean, night two was great too, but uh, oh. it's just something about night one. I mean, those first five songs, he, if you look at the night two set list, I mean, they just came out of, you know, he just came out, you know, blazing. Yeah, the, uh, Summertime Blues, Detroit Medley, as you said, Badlands, My that Love, was the first My Love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, Jack uh, of All Trades, which, you know, at that point was starting to, you know, fizzle out. And I do like, you know, I am a fan of Jack of All Trades. The second night, now he cracks me up because he comes out and uh, it must have been hilarious in the building. Every time I listen to that, I'm like, this is just so funny. He goes, Adelaide, I thought it was hot yesterday. What the fuck was going on today? Exactly. Um, yep. It's amazing that 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 he, thank God the humidity was low. If the humidity was there, it would have been like brutal. But uh, from what I understand, the first show, it got up to about 108, 109 on us outside from what we were told. And the air conditioning was uh, was working well inside. Yeah, nothing <laughs> like uh, me and Hal <laughs> know about Paris 2012. Yeah, whole different ballgame. Uh, well, uh, the second night, the set list is just bonkers. Uh, you got Backstreet's the fourth song. Uh, it was the debut of Hunter of Invisible Game. Uh, it's just Better Days was played. Oh yeah. Uh, obviously, I s- say the <laughs> make an understatement when I say it's not like that anymore. Uh, but this is really crazy stuff that was going on there in Adelaide. Oh no, and I mean that's the one and only Hunter. I mean, and, you know, it was it was it was a nice performance, you know, considering you know a lot of people you know kind of frown on it a little bit. I I enjoyed it. And uh, quickly going back to Perth, uh, night three opening up with Highway to Hell. I mean. That just that you know nobody saw that coming. Well, to to kind of piggyback on that, this tour, or at least this, especially this leg anyway, down under, he really made it a point to do some interesting covers that had some basically local flavor. Obviously, the year before he kind of kicked off that trend with just like firewood, but then he really took it to another level in fourteen. In addition to Highway to Hell, NXS's Don't Change. Uh, Easy Beats, Friday on My Mind, um, the the two wine songs at Hunter Valley. What was those were just 
incredibly inspired. What, what were they? Uh, they I were, assume he was on fire inside as well. He, like I said, he hit, he hit it on all, you know, ends. I mean, you know, highway to hell. And then, you know, night one and night two, you know, he used the heat with summertime blues and heat wave, you know, and then again, opening up highway to hell, night one in Melbourne. And then you talk about the easy beats and uh, don't change by in excess, which, you know, my, the, my, I, the don't change was just phenomenal. I mean, you know, Friday on my mind was great, but, you know, Don't Change was just like, you know, just blew me away. And then, of course, yeah. you had Stay, Staying Alive a, a couple of weeks later. Oh, yeah, Staying Alive, the last show in uh, Brisbane was just, uh, you know. And, of course, when he came out strumming, you know, you, don't, you, know, you didn't see that coming again as well. And then, you know, their, their own re- rendition of it was just like, you know amazing and uh and the crowd went nuts i mean if you watch the videos of it and from what we recall yeah i mean the place just exploded i mean we knew something was up that night when we were in line earlier that day and you we actually saw the string quartet walk by us and go in uh so we knew we knew something was up and then rumors came out it could be what they wound up doing doing the shuffle show that night even though he kind of did ask the audience, do you want this and that? And, you know, you know, luckily we won and, you know, we yelled loud enough and we got to shuffle instead of Bruce saying, you know, we can just keep on going with the signs. Okay. Well, let's, well, let's go back to Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, you had Eddie Vedder show up for the first couple of songs and at night one. Um, yes. He must have added quite the spark to, to the stage. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, night one, you know, I mean, him opening up with uh, – you know, Highway to Hell in the Darkness, you know, right off the bat. And the fact that he was there and some people had seen some of his shows already. I mean, they were jumping back and forth on planes. and hit. So for them, that was, you know, an extra treat. You know, I'm not a huge Pearl Jam fan like Hal is, but, you know, I totally enjoyed it. <laughs> Which is, it's the second show, right? That is the one show since they started issuing recordings that they somehow, quote unquote, lost or... <laughs> I don't yeah. Know yeah, um, thank God that was one of the three shows that were audience recorded in Australia, so we got lucky there. But he, you know, according if you listen to the recording and from what I recall, he was up awfully late the night before doing God knows what he was doing. With any you know? better, doing shots, but yeah, just doing yeah. shots somewhere. <laughs> doing some shots, and then he they says... Having a good time, let's just oh, say yeah. that. Let's just say that, and apparently, you know, during the, uh, you know, story for growing up, he said that he had just gotten up an hour before the show or an hour ago but you can clearly see it was killing time he was just sitting on the stage he was rambling on i mean the story was nice the one about watching tv and you know three o'clock in the morning the national anthem and then it going you know fuzzy you know and then the you know the bars but he, he was just rambling and then again during spirit he rambled on a little bit too much about the jersey devil and so forth and Somewhere in there, I believe he even turned to Max, you know, during one of the songs and said something like, I'm still not uh, up to speed here yet. I oh, think gosh. it was like Wrecking Ball or something like that. He was like, I'm still uh, not into it. But well, uh, it's in- well, looking at the first four songs, I I would have been ecstatic on paper looking oh at the songs. The first four songs are, it's mind-blowing. And I'm one of those people who think Born in the USA is the greatest opener. Yeah, I love as, USA. As, as do I. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think but, there's no opener like it. But but then you, you the video there are videos of the Lucky Town and Roulette performances and they are less than stellar. Yes, they are. The Lucky Town, I mean the solo goes on as I say it long. It's like 6 7 rotations, but it's not a stellar solo. It's kind of like he just kind of just sticks with the same, you know, as our guitar player uh, Hal here knows. Uh 
yeah, he just kind of, you know, stuck with the same couple chords. He didn't like change it up like in 17, uh, that Brisbane that Lucky Town. That was solo, yeah. That was like amazing solo in 17, yeah. But, uh, and Roulette was nice. Uh, though, a couple songs later when he did Lost in a Flood, he clearly picked it up by Lost in a Flood. The Lost in a Flood solo at night two in uh, Melbourne was uh, quite, uh, it was one of the better ones I've seen. Of course, that show also had the Born, a Born to Run album performance. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, a great set list, to, you know, I mean, like we said, the first four songs, USA, uh, Badlands, Lucky Town, Roulette, and then, you know, you got Spirit in there, and then to have Lost in the Flood in there, and then the full uh, Born to Run album, that's, uh, you know, you got some rarities all together. To have Jungle Land, Lost in the Flood, Backstreet's all in one show, that's pretty impressive. But it was less than stellar to, at the beginning. Oh, no, absolutely. You can clearly see it, you know. It's like he had that steam at the beginning of the first two songs. But like you said, even a Lucky Town was nice. It wasn't boom. And then, you know, it, it slid down, as you can clearly see Bruce, you know, trying to kill time or, you know, re-get his energy. And then, you know, during Born to Run, he seemed to get it going again. And uh, we got there little by little, Um, from what I under, you know. I mean, it wasn't like it's, night. It, it's funny because Bruce Bass, I'm reading here, says ragged versions of the tours, Lone, Lucky Town, and Roulette are played early on. And they very rarely on Bruce Bass editorialized like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, again, Lucky Town was great. I mean, to hear, but yeah, like if you look at it, it just, there wasn't that spark in it, you know? And like I said, that ending solo was just very, very bland. But it goes I, on I, long. It's on, yeah. Yeah, I don't sure. know. They still should have released that show. Uh, we've, And it's funny because three years later when we walked out of the Brisbane show the night one where they had had the issue with Back in Your Arms in oh, particular, yeah. which uh, Bill, our buddy Bill Donahoe, who has also been on the show, he said to me, they're not going to release the show because they didn't release that show from Melbourne three years ago. And I said, that would be a really big mistake because that Valentine's Day show was really special oh and yeah fortunately they did release it even if there are mistakes or he's lower energy they they still should have released it but whatever it's it's 10 years ago i guess i gotta get over it <laughs> yeah i mean luckily like i thank god at least we got an audience recording of it so at least we do have a capture yes now you moved on to sydney and this is where he did in the same show friday on my mind to open and then don't change to start the to start the uh the encores and in between you had a Full performance of darkness. I mean, that, that Sydney, you know, along with uh, Night One in uh, Adelaide, and then of course the Brisbane are my, you know, my top three from that run. I mean, Sydney, you know, early like you know Friday on my mind, Cadillac Ranch early, the entire, um, you know, Darkness album, which you know for me out of all you know album requests is the ultimate, and then Don't Change opening up, and then um, the one and only uh, Dream Baby Dream to close the show out. You know, which, you know, we're surprised we didn't get that more often. When you say one and only. Um, well, in, 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 down in Australia anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and it was the band? I um, honestly don't remember. So was I, the band or was it the like the more of the Doubles and Dust? It was more like the Doubles was, and Dust. Yeah. With a little okay. bit of maybe Max on the drums, you know, tap, if I recall. But right before that, he did a um, song request for a friend of mine, uh, Eddie from... Uh, Australia it was his 23rd birthday and he requested surprise surprise Bruce did it and I've never seen Bruce do a song to somebody directed at that person he made it very personable the way he sang some of the like, he looked down you know his fa face mannerisms and everything I mean 
an exceptional. It wasn't just, I'm just going to sing it for the guy for his 23rd birthday, you know, and then he makes the comment about 23 years old. Uh, for me, that was uh, blinded by the light and stuff. But, uh, you know, excellent. I mean, from beginning to end, excellent show. You know, you couldn't go wrong with, like I said, the easy beats opening up. Don't change, open up the encore, you know. You know, and again, one of my three favorite shows. And I remember the crowd really ate it up that night. I thought, from what I recall, that was one of the better crowds as well. We should also point out that, unfortunately, Jake missed that show because his father had passed away. So he yes. left Australia, returned to the States, and then came back, which must have been very difficult for him, to say the least. Not only the loss of his father, but that insane amount of travel in a short period of time. Uh, but he did make it back for the next show at Hope Estate, right? Yeah, and uh, Ed Mannion stepped in quite nicely for him in, uh, you know, in uh, Sydney. He took most of, uh, from what I recall, most of Jake's, uh, you know, solos. And he had all the the major signature ones: uh, the Born to Run, the Badlands. Oh yeah, the, I mean, he, he's got the uh, he's got the uh, yeah he's got all the old Clarence solos. He gets them all. Oh, and that night in Sydney was also, that was the night that Born to Run was played at about <laughs> double the speed that it's normally played yes. at, right? They, they, when they got done with Don't Change, uh, they were still on that Don't Change tempo, and they just kept on going. And Bruce, at the end of it, says, I think that's the fastest we've ever played that song. You use a different word than song, but yeah. Yes. It's, yeah, but yeah, it's, it, it, it is fast. It's like he hasn't played it. Probably hadn't played it at that pace probably since at least eighty five, right? No. Maybe even the river. No, but yeah, they just it's just like don't change was at such a quick pace it's just that the band just you know didn't you know slow down. They just kicked right you know right into it. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, nice. And I remember us all look. You know, we we all picked up on it too. Yeah, you know, well, some of us <laughs> I did. You know, and a couple of my friends we were like, hmm, that's a little quick. Yes. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. And then there were moved on to two shows at Hunter Valley. Now, these were kind of festival-esque, weren't they? Yes, it's uh, it's wine country there. You know, it's, you know, it's where all their vineyards are and they have particular, you know, vintages and whatever you know i'm you know i'm not a wine connoisseur of you know drinker at all but you know they do get shows there consistently i know they've had fleetwood mac there and a lot you know so they do get it's quite a unique venue it's kind of like just something out in the field of uh i mean how <laughs> you were there in 17 right i was yeah yeah and you you saw what it, it's not you know, it you, was, know you get on a bus in sydney uh, and they bring you out into the middle of this field and it's a winery. It was, it was very cool. It was very different from anything I had done before in, ter in terms of seeing Bruce. Night one, you know, when he opened up with a wine zippity-doo or whatever it's called, uh, 
it's a highlight. I watch that video all the time. I, it's something that's on my iPod that I listen to all the time. The way he changed and improvised the lyrics were just like, you know, amazing, you know, and Steve got a good kick at, you know, got a good kick out of it as well. But, uh, also the fact that, you know, going back to the fans a little bit there in Hunter Valley, those were the only two shows where they did not allow a fan GA line because it was the middle of nowhere. So they didn't want fans lining up. So they actually did a lottery for those two particular shows. Well, interesting. But yeah. but it was a pit ticket, right? It was so, so a pit was, ticket. Yeah. And uh, it was an unusual pit. I mean, it was, a, it was a grass pit. It was a complete, because night one, I was relatively close. Night two, I just hung out in the back of the pit. Uh, but it was just grass. I mean, they didn't have anything special down or anything like that. All the shows in Australia were guaranteed pits. So they were a little bit bigger than the standard U.S. arena pit. But not huge, not like huge, much bigger. But that's what made it easy. Yeah, that's what made it nice too. Is that you know, if you had a pit ticket, you knew where you were at least. You didn't have to worry about doing a line every night. You could just hang in the back, which I did a couple times. Not a lot, but a few times. I really enjoyed the spill the wine opener. Oh, that at is the so second oh, yeah. With uh, I like Michelle, Michelle Moore dancing <laughs> with the wine glass in her hand, and Bruce is talking about the native wildlife to Australia. Yeah. Oh, and, oh yeah. and the story that he doesn't, that, that winds up where he's like, where the fuck am I? You know, it's just so great. Yes. It's, a, one, of the, it's one of those times that how you actually said to me one time, how did you come up with this stuff? It's true. And I think that's something many fans probably wonder. But it is remarkable that he's sitting there at this winery and he's coming up with these songs to play. It's it, uh, look, that's why it's, that's why Ted went down there and saw all 13 shows. And that's why we all see a million <laughs> shows because... You just never know what's going to happen. No, but uh, like I said at the beginning, yeah, this I've never seen a run where Bruce was like so focused on where he was and the songs he was picking night to night, you know, due to the local uh, the local Australian bands and everything. He just like, you know, he had it. He had it down and uh, like, you know, night one, a drinking wine, uh, Spoodaddy, you know. I kind of knew the song because I had heard it, you know, previously, the Jerry Lee Lewis cover, but I didn't realize until I looked at it further, you know, where it was originally, you know, its origins were. But uh, I just loved, you know, boat shows. Uh, night two, um, again, just like in um, Night One in Adelaide, the Human Touch with Solo is just like off the hook. Phenomenal. And phenomenal solo. And he did brilliant into Human Touch with... Over the years, that was kind of funny. I always said they would be an amazing one-two punch together, and boom, he did them that night. <laughs> and I was like, and I remember when he did them, I was like, wow. I said, I've been waiting for this for a while. And, and that's a fairly rare circumstance where Brilliant Disguise was played without Patty being there. Oh, oh yeah. Ditto oh, for absolutely. Human Touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Human Touch, we get a little bit more without her, but yeah, but you're right about that. And then, um, you know, we got, um, what did we get that night? I forget. I think we got a, you know, I wish I were blind, I believe, at the end. Yep. Which, you know, luckily we stayed in Quartic because traffic night one was so disgusting getting out of there. We were trying to make a little bit of a quick exit night two, and then we kind of heard the chords and stuff from, we stopped. <laughs> thank God we, yeah, you know, thank God we stopped and, you know, we heard it. And then, yeah, traffic was, plus we had like a 6 a.m. flight the next morning to go to Brisbane. So it was like, we got to get the hell out of here tough venue to get in and out of to be sure oh, i think it might have been the heart by far yeah again where it was it's in wine country there's one road leading in there's one road leading out from what i recall and uh in 17 you know going you know a couple years i remember we just had a hotel like 30 minutes away and we just walked 
it was it was just easier. You know, we booked something close and just walked, you know, 30 minutes after the show. It was much easier. Now, let's get to the final night in Australia, which was in Brisbane. And this is a very highly regarded show, I think, by the fan base. And I remember I was went to bed as they were sound checking and it had been reported that staying alive had been sound checked. And I was like, that, that sounds crazy. And of course the show started and they opened with it. So take us through, what did you think when they started playing a BG song and where the show went from there? Um, yeah, of course it took me a couple of seconds to pick up on it. I mean, I knew the lyrics, but because they did it in the different arrangement, it still took me a couple of seconds to realize what I was hearing, you know, and then we heard, and then we didn't, and then of course he was doing it slowly. So I was like, is he going to, and then the band kicked in and then, you know, it was just, it was mind blowing. I mean, the crowd just ate it up. It uh, is definitely one of the highlights of, you know, my Bruce scene career to see him opening up a show with something, uh, such a odd, rare cover like that you know but again he's doing his homework the bgs who you know technically aren't from australia originally but immigrated there i believe in the 50s with their family so but again he's doing his homework you know and grabbed the crowd right off the bat you know gave them what they wanted and then um right after that the four pack uh of the uh the greeting songs and one of the most nutty guitar solos i've ever seen between uh bruce and steve at the end of saint in the city the dueling guitars were just uh amazing and the you know the crowd was just uh you know loving it and then those four those first 18 songs at that point was like possibly the greatest show i ever seen and then the last 12 songs of course you know we could have written the set list ourselves you know it was standard but those first 18 songs to have you know uh staying alive and then the four pack of uh saint bus stop um growing up in spirit and then um and of course during spirit at the beginning of it Bruce decides to take, it's not on the video, for unfortunately there's a video that's incomplete. Bruce decides to walk down to the front and take a seat on the um, the front um, stage amp, and uh, he's right in my way. I actually physically have to move out of the way as he puts his legs over the edge. <laughs> there's a picture where I'm st- somewhere where I'm standing to the side of him, and people are like, oh, you were close. I said, no, I had to move, physically move out of the way because Bruce would not have had enough room to sit on the speaker at the front of the stage to get in but again it, it was almost like he was trying to conserve energy unlike what happened in melbourne he wasn't you know whatever partying but and then then he did the whole uh wild the innocent that night too. yeah and then but even before even in between that you know we got a say my love which you know he only did twice down there which you know is still an awesome and he did fade away i mean where where in the world did that come from of all places you know yeah you, you got quite the little uh river River theme going on between You Can Look, Sherry Darling, and then Fade Away. And then uh, You Can Look had, what, Steve forgot the some part or something? Yeah, the uh, bridge when uh, you got the uh, tapping in and wish in the middle of the night, uh, and they do the Hey You thing. You know, he usually did with Clarence at the time. And Steve missed his, you know, his cue. And Bruce just looks down, and he points at me, and he cues me, and I just yelled, <laughs> get out of the car. <laughs> you, know, you know i didn't see that coming and uh yeah it was kind of funny and bruce and then steve says thank you afterwards <laughs> for so saving was, him pick it, picking him up 
Oh, definitely, you know, but it was, it was, it was funny, but I, I forgot about, yeah, you can look, I mean, which I don't know how I forgot about that since, you know, I participated, so to speak, but <laughs> I mean, those first 18 songs, I mean, you couldn't have written a more amazing show. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Crazy. It, yeah. Heck, you even had uh, my two favorite songs from the High Hopes album, the title track and just like Firewood. Oh, yeah. And going to those two, I mean, I mean, the crowd, especially with just like Firewood every night, you know. Is like every single person in the crowd, they knew the, they knew every lyric. You know, I obviously didn't know all the lyrics, but uh, they, you know, knew all the lyrics. You know, and they just, you know, ate up uh, just like firewood every night. It was, you know, obviously a highlight. Yeah, and, he uh, really tapped into something down there, and I, I felt the same way in 2017 when I was there. I understand it probably wasn't to the same level, no, but I, I really felt, especially in Brisbane that there was something special going on. Uh, and I still think the second night in Brisbane in 2017 was the best show that I've seen post 2012. So, uh, but I, I get that this was on a, a, a totally separate and very special level. Now I agree. Uh, like night one had that crazy opener with all the oddities in Brisbane 17, but night two, I agree with you. Night two Brisbane was clearly the best of that that run there's no question you know right, i think well, i'm in a minority there well, let's go back to 14 quickly sorry about and, that uh, yeah it's okay <laughs> but another highlight at least uh, i know you said that the last 12 songs or so were pretty much uh as predictable as possible but eddie vetter did come back again to yes. kind of send off bruce out of australia and joining him for highway to hell that must have added a little bit of a punch right there at the end Oh, absolutely. And, you know, instead of getting, you know, we were all expecting Shout, obviously, or possibly Twisted Shout, and then Highway to Hell. And, uh, yeah, and it was definitely the best Highway to Hell. I mean, he really, you know, egged the crowd on, really, you know, pumped them up, you know, before the song, you know, he talked about thanking, you know, Australia and how the earth moved the last time they were down there. And uh, it just, uh, just amazing. Well, the first, and the in 13, he opened up in Brisbane, and 14, he closed the uh, Australian tour in Brisbane. So, and also, when you're in Australia, you got to get your lingo right. You know, like a lot of Americans say Brisbane, but we know it's <laughs> Brisbane. Melbourne is actually Melbourne, you know, and you, know, if you don't say it right. You know, the Australians give you a look like, uh, no, you're visiting, uh, you know, get your lingo down. They just have to teach us, that's all. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, but that. Brisbane show is just, you know, incredible. And we knew there was something special when we saw the, uh, the string section, you know, the girls walking by, uh, you know, early in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And just seeing them, that was a sight. Just, you know, I'll just leave it at that, what they look like. <laughs> uh, and we'll give them full credit. Cooper and Coo Strings was the name of the string yes. section. Yes, Bruce gives the, gave them a nice shout out at the end of Staying Alive. So, Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They were they, they were quite uh, ecstatic to be on stage. One of them looked to be extra ecstatic to be on stage with Bruce. <laughs> All right. And well, for, then. Uh, uh, yeah. Take it, Flynn. We'll go to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. They, they went to New Zealand and I guess he, they, it, was, it was a stadium, but he opened yeah, we with. I think in some ways this may be my favorite cover that he did on that run. He opened with Royals that Lord had took into, taken to the top of the charts a, a year or so earlier. Yeah, again, once again, Bruce did his homework and uh, did a cover of a, you know, a song of a, a local uh, person, you know, he, st you know, he stuck with it. He could have just kind of like said, okay, we're in a new place, no big deal. But, uh, you know, just like covering all those songs on in Australia, 
he once again uh, did his thing. And uh, what I did is before the show, I kind of did the reverse, um, you know, selfie screenshot of the uh, monitor because I was up front and I, I could see Royals on the monitor. And I was like, wow. I also did that in Perth when he opened up with a highway to hell. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and that's become a trait of mine. If I get close, I like to do the, you know, the selfie shot on the phone and see if I can see what's going on on that uh, teleprompter. Nice. But uh, well, I mean, the, the thing about the Royals, it, it not only was it local, but it was such an inspired choice as we Lord was a teenager at the time. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't have thought that that was where he was going to go, even though when you think about it now, you're like, well, it makes sense. She was, as Flynn said, at the top of the charts and it was just a massive, massive hit. But just to to do that, uh, it it's why he is such a confident performer, because to cover a teen girl in her home country and something that was so well known by so many people and, and to make it his own, that was really what was incredible about it. He really oh, yeah. put the Bruce stamp on it but, and he did. It went viral to, for sure. He got a lot of publicity when he did that. Oh, huge. And again, you know, he, he did it in his, like you said, mode and he, he put a lot of heart in it. It wasn't just uh, a cover, you know, like I was saying, when he did surprise, surprise in, uh, Sydney, he put a lot of heart and a lot of soul into that, you know, performance of Royals. It wasn't just, you know, okay, let's do it because we're here. You know, there was a lot of passion in his performance throughout Australia and New Zealand. There was just an amazing, I mean, you know, so many songs that I've seen, like going back to Perth late of day. I mean, that's one of the best later days I've seen post uh you know i mean you know going back you know to the lucky town you know lucky touch tours like they call it i thought they were some of the best lighter days ever you know you know some people will disagree with that but that lighter day in perth was just like the opening solo was just amazing you know and that's what was going on in australia throughout the thing his performance was top notch from beginning to end one thing I thought of, he was actually gone for a really long time, at least six weeks, I think, without coming back to the States, which is pretty unusual for him. And of course, Patty stayed in the States and instead he was with buddies like Morello and at times Eddie was there. It just seems like it turned into a really cool guy's trip and he had a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you're in Australia. I mean, first of all, that's, you know, a lot of people say it's a dream, you know, it's a dream trip for a lot of people. You're in Australia. It's in the middle of the summer. It's warm. It's nice. And you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do what you love. I mean, what's, uh, <laughs> what's there's, no, there's nothing bad. There's nothing bad about it. Yeah. No, downside, you said, no downside there. And like you're saying, he was away for six weeks between that, me getting there early to Perth, and then me and a couple of friends staying a couple extra days in New Zealand. I mean, I was gone for over five weeks myself. I think I was gone 36, 37 days. I mean, it's by oh, far, wow. it's the longest trip I've ever had. And I've had some long Bruce trips. Yeah, that's right. pretty crazy. Right yeah, now, and, go on. No, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, the shows, you know, you were going to get into the shows. The show, in my opinion, nothing against, you know, you know, those shoes, but they were the two weakest of the 13, in my opinion. I mean, he did do, uh, you know, album shows, you know, each night, USA, night one, born to run night two, but the shows weren't, you know, they didn't have any of that spontaneity, those rare sign requests, you know, it's almost like he knew he was at the end, you know, he was still performing well, but you know, it was nothing spectacular, unlike what was going on at the, uh, shows in, uh, Australia. 
also a different audience and a, a different type of venue, definitely oh, yeah. than most of the arenas that were in Australia. So it's it's understandable. There was nowhere near the rarities at these two shows. You got I see you got loose ends the first night, and then the second night, which I know was very touching because they had had the earthquake. He did yes. my city of ruins for the city, which was a special moment. Correct. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that was very touching. You could see, you know, people getting emotional when he did that and he talked about it, you know, and it was talk about it before the show. If I recall people talking about, is he going to do something special for, you know, thing. And people were already talking about, he should play Christchurch and, you know, he wound up doing it a couple of years later when he went back. So, and all that, but I mean, they were good shows. Uh, my highlight of the two New Zealand shows was if you ever get a chance look at the video of seven nights to rock from night till Bruce just totally loses it, completely loses it. He's running around stage, throwing stuff, you know, playing a <laughs> piano with his head. Like we've seen him do before. He gives Eddie a smooch on the cheek, um, goes back, you know, has a, um, that's Eddie you know, Mannion. Or Eddie that, Mannion, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. You Eddie said Mannion. Eddie. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know if yeah. you meant uh, Vetter or no, Mannion. No, yeah, Mannion. He yeah, gives him a smooch on the cheek. Then he has a, um, instead of a wardrobe malfunction, he has a guitar malfunction. He does his, you know, famous, you know, play the guitar with your ass on the uh, mic stand. And he forgot to turn the uh, guitar back up. So there was nothing came out. Then he had to redo that. And then right at the end, he takes his, you know, his water bucket, you know, his face rub down bucket, takes it and... You know, coincidence or not, if he was taking aim at somebody, but he threw it into the crowd and nailed me. <laughs> I mean, directly at me and directly at Bruce's bodyguard, because Bruce's bodyguard was like hanging right by me underneath. And I mean, you know, was it personal or not? But I mean, that thing came directly at me and we all got nailed by the water and the ice. If you ever look at the video, <laughs> it's a big bucket of water and ice Bruce just threw into the crowd. Oh, wow. So even, well, even though it's... Uh... Nothing, uh, ex nothing that exciting set list wise outside of Royals. Uh, still, you got a you got a hell of a one of the best seven nights uh, that you've ever seen. It sounds. Oh like. yeah, no, I mean he was just you know that you know that one and those one in Paris 2012. I always recall as well. But yeah, that yeah the seven nights to rock was just like if you you know have you ever get a chance to look at the video, he, he just he just loses his mind during it. Oh, very cool, very cool. Well, from there, they came back to the States, and we're going to pick that up in the next episode. Ted, thank you so much for coming on and telling us these stories. Uh, it, we really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, definitely one of my best three runs of Bruce shows I've ever seen. Uh, we still talk about it. We're very happy. A lot of the pictures and stories have still never come out of <laughs> Australia. There's a lot of a lot of things that went down in Australia. I mean, it, it was a sick, it was a sick, sick, sick. <laughs> trip it really so, was well i'm glad you had a good time and, and thank you again for joining us once again that was ted britch our good buddy weighing in on the australian portion of the 2014 high hopes tour and prior to that we had jason de batista talking about south africa so again we thank them both for joining us and we just want to remind everyone we'll be back in a, about 10 days or so with part two we're going to look at the u.s and I think we'll probably have a lengthy portion of that where we talk about the Mohegan Sun shows, which was basically like a Springsteen convention that weekend. And of course, both Flynn and I were there for both shows and Kirk was there for both shows. So uh, that should be really cool. And with that, I'll wrap things up. None But the Brave is a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts and produced by Bullmark Entertainment. 
On Twitter, you can find us at MBTV Podcast. Check out our Patreon page for our bonus offerings. We do content throughout the month. That's patreon.com slash MBTV Podcast. Thanks once again to Jason DiBattista and Ted Bridge for joining us and for Hal Schwartz on Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.